This is episode number 61, another best day ever with mountain bike champ Larissa Connors. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to give you the tools to be better every day. Every day that you wake up and go do something new, you have the opportunity to make the decision that it's the best day. Even if it's not like the ideal location or ideal whatever's happening, you have the power to make it the best day if you choose to make it the best day. Everything I do in life, I want to make every day a better day than yesterday because what's the point of living if I'm not going to choose to really enjoy every day to the fullest? I'm so thankful that you're here listening to the show. And I think that today's guest is going to be somebody who is going to stoke you up, to get you excited, to get you motivated. You can feed off of her energy. Larissa Connors might be the most stoked and energetic person you've ever seen. Every photo I have ever seen of Larissa has her rocking her infectious grin. Seriously, just Google her and look at the images. What puts that Cheshire cat grin on her face every single day? Mountain biking. Larissa is an ultra-endurance mountain bike racer for Show Air Cycling Group and Felt Bicycles. Larissa is super rad. She has won every 100-miler she has ever raced, including the Leadville 100. That's right, she's the Leadville 100 champ, and she's going to be defending her title this year. On top of her stellar fitness, she is a full-time high school algebra teacher who gets an insane amount of riding in each month from an awesome bike commute and coaches the Laguna Beach Interscholastic Mountain Bike Team. She's addicted to pushing herself to ride further, higher, and harder every minute of every day, much to her CTS coach's dismay. She even has stories of riding over a mountain as a detour on her commute on the way home, which is super funny. She is racing about 500-mile mountain bike races in a row, like every week, which is amazing. If you've never done 100, you should know that it takes time to recover from just one, and to be able to do that many in a row is definitely a feat of endurance and a little bit of a dose of craziness. In addition to winning, Larissa's main goals in cycling are to make every day the best day possible, to inspire Stoke, and to spread the gospel of mountain biking far and wide. If just one person finds the joy of sailing down a trail over rocks and roots in the woods on a felt edict, then her career will be deemed a success. Larissa used to race World Cup and cross-country races, but she came onto the endurance scene strong last year, and that's when I found her. And I've been so glad to be able to follow her because she motivates me on a daily basis and reminds me to keep things in perspective. She's super awesome. She's got a quote that I love that comes from her website, and it says, What matters is that I focus on lifting others up, having a great time riding bikes, and spreading stoke. In this episode, we talk about Larissa's background and her transition to endurance racing, what Larissa loves about being a teacher, that's right, she works full-time during the year, how she deals with disappointment, what her hashtag another best day means to her and where it came from, how she stays so dang motivated, how much Larissa Connors trains, like how many hours per week, it's crazy, her one non-negotiable, and Larissa Connors' race strategy, that's right, she gives her secret, so make sure you're listening. Before we get into it, I wanted to send out a special thank you and shout out to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon. 
Patreon's a crowdfunding website, so you can contribute to the show. Even as little as four bucks a month makes a big difference, and I really appreciate that. It really does help with the growth and production of this show. There's a couple other ways to support my work if you don't want to do that financially. Number one is leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. So you just go into the ratings and review section. We have about 95 to 100 five-star reviews in the U.S. iTunes and all the different iTunes from the different countries show up too. So if you're in another country, we still appreciate it. Another way is also sharing the show with your friends, taking a screenshot of this episode. Maybe this episode really resonated with you and you want to have your friends get stoked from it too. So take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories or on your Facebook, and that also gets the word out. Also, if you're new to the show, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because every single week we have new and exciting guests in all different categories that will help you learn lots of cool stuff. If you want to go on the ultimate mountain bike vacation with me, I am hosting a retreat in Bend, Oregon, October 4th through the 7th. It's all inclusive, so all you have to do is show up. We're going to have guided rides for all ability levels, different distances, yoga, great speakers. We're going to have brewery tours and just a great time. The group is a small group, so it's going to be intimate, and I wanted to mimic the feeling of going to a stage race. My favorite thing about stage racing is the community building and the friendships that you form over the course of spending multiple days with people, and I think that this is going to be a really great opportunity to not just ride great trails, but to build great friendships. Go to sonyalooney.com retreats and sign up. I can't wait to see you there. We're adding new Moxie and Grit socks to the website every month. Moxie and Grit is my apparel brand. Right now, it is a lot of rad socks, and it's going to be growing. And I want to thank you personally to those of you who are rocking the socks, who are tagging them, who are wearing them in your racing. It's really cool to see, and it's really fun. The newest socks say Moxie on one sock and Grit on the other, which are the two elements that I think you need to have a successful and meaningful bike ride or adventure or goal. Goal. Choosing goals, choosing bike rides, choosing adventures that require you to push a little bit harder to have that grit, to exercise that muscle is important. And also being able to have fun while doing it, the attitude portion. And those two things can really help you build resilience, build confidence, and to just have more meaning in the things that you're doing. Speaking of Moxie and Grit, guess where I am? I just got to Poland. Poland! I've never been there before. It's pretty interesting here, really different from what you might expect. And I will be doing a show on Poland quite a bit later after this race is over. But it's a six-day mountain bike race called the Sudeti Challenge. Please follow along on Instagram, cheer us on. I think it's going to be a tough race, but it's going to be really cool to see a different country. One more cool thing I want to tell you about before we get started is a really cool product that I've been experimenting with, and the company is called Four Sigmatic. And Four Sigmatic makes a lot of different products that are rooted in mushrooms. And there are so many different types of mushrooms in the world, but Chinese mushrooms in particular have a lot of healing properties. And I heard about these both from my naturopath and from my acupuncturist. And there is a lot of adaptogenic properties, meaning that it helps balance the body. 
I've also heard other people using these products. So I went to the store and got a bunch of different samples to try. And the one that's been most interesting for me so far has been the mushroom coffee with lion's mane. And I was a little bit skeptical at first because it's just a packet of instant coffee. And I'm someone who's pretty particular about my coffee. And I admit that I had low expectations, but the taste of it was actually really good. And I went and read more about it and it's made with 100% organic Arabica coffee beans, which is awesome. And it includes chaga mushrooms and lion's mane. And like, what is that? And I actually went and did a little bit of reading about it because there's so much to learn. And Four Sigmatic has a mushroom academy, which I'm actually taking to learn more about these mushrooms. But lion's mane was used by Buddhist monks to help with focus during meditation. So it helps with concentration during the day. And I did notice that I had a little bit of a boost in productivity right after I used it. And it's probably partially due to the caffeine, but it's also due to having that mushroom blend in there. And chaga mushrooms are supposed to help with immune function, which as an athlete, we're always concerned with our immune system because we're always running ourselves down between work and training and all the other fun stuff that we do. So it's pretty cool to have these products to try. They also make different elixirs and different types of really easy and transportable mushroom mixes. So we might as well give it a try. I got a link from them to give you a 15% discount on all orders placed on their website. You can use the discount code Sonia Looney, which is just my name, or you can go to foursigmatic.com slash Sonia Looney, which is in the show notes. So check it out. I'd love to hear what you think about Four Sigmatic and what your experience with mushrooms have been. I think that this is really cutting edge and I'm excited to see where this goes. Sweet. So let's get into this with Larissa Connors. Welcome to the show, Larissa. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> I actually just saw you in Moab a couple of weeks ago, but it was like 1030 at night and you were unpacking your bike and I was building my bike or no, I know. opposite. I was packing my bike and you were building your bike. And I couldn't believe you were still alive because you just did a whole bunch of riding in 111 degree heat, right? Yeah, it was crazy. Like that, I had to go back and I've raced my bike in Sahara Desert. I was like, okay, if I could get through a race in Sahara Desert, I can get through this video shoot. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We watched the video that you made in the hottest time of the day. And the things that you were saying in the video were so inspiring to me because I knew how hot it was. And just knowing that that was probably what was getting you through. That was it was pretty inspiring. Well, at least it It's made sense. Cool. I wasn't even sure what I was saying at that point. But <laughs> yeah, so like I, I'm really excited to talk about your story. And because I think maybe I found out about you just last year, which is crazy because you've been racing forever. And it, it was through, like social media. So I was like, who is this chick? I'm like, this chick's awesome. I love her. And she's badass. So I want to hear more. Like, I want to hear about your background. Oh, you're too nice. <laughs> well, oh, should I just start talking about my background? You should just start well, talking. I could tell a story that's really long, but people probably don't want to hear it. So we'll condense it. <laughs> when I was a kid, I probably had really bad ADD, but my parents didn't believe in ADD. So I ran a ton. And then I got a bike and I rode my bike a ton and I would ride up in the hills behind my house and I would try to clean all the rocky trails that were super technical with my sister. And every day in the summer, that's what we did. And it just was my outlet for all the energy that I had because I probably had ADD. <laughs> and then I just never stopped exercising. Like I always wanted to be outside in nature when the sun was out and to, to be, see new places and 
do new things and have new experiences. And so that kind of translated into mountain bike racing and got me where I am today. That's so cool. So like, did your sister get you into riding? Um, I think we what we'd got each other into riding. So we would go, we were very competitive. So we would go try to ride up this trail without putting a foot down. It's called Spring Creek Trail in Annadale State Park. And we, it used to be way rockier than it is now. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Well, and the, bike, the bikes you were riding were probably like way less capable oh, too. So. They were crappy. <laughs> yeah. They were like road hybrid bikes. And when the first time I rode it without putting a foot down, I started saving my allowance to buy a real mountain bike. And I bought a Gary Fisher Sugar 2 Plus and it was awesome. And we both, we were just so competitive that it, every time we went out, it was like, who can clean this trail? Who can ride this the fastest? And so it was really it was a great outlet for the two of us to do something healthy and active together as kids. And we're really lucky we live behind the park. So we didn't need to get in a car to drive anywhere. We just rode from our house. That's like, awesome. So was it like friendly competition? Cause I was thinking, I've always thought to myself, like, what if I had a sibling that I was close to? Like, <laughs> like what, what was that like? <laughs> it was, it was friendly on the bike, but I do remember we're very competitive always. So I do remember we were running once and there was an old man up ahead of us and she booked it to beat this old guy. And I remember just being so upset with her because I had such a hard time keeping up, but she was so competitive. She even wanted to beat the old dude up the road running. And then she took, she took calculus or she took, um, she took, um, pre-calculus at community college when she was a sophomore so that she could take calculus the same year as me when I was a senior because she wanted to show me up in math and school. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I had to study really hard for every test because I couldn't let her get better test scores than me. Well, that's a good motivator. <laughs> this is sounding unhealthy. Actually, I, no, I actually can understand that though, because it's funny. Uh, my husband's brother is a really like academic dude and I, I was too. And I was competitive in school. Like I wanted to get better grades than everybody. And I would secretly try and look at what other people's test score was. <laughs> it's good. It helps you like push yourself. It's some people are motivated by intrinsic motivators. We are motivated by extrinsic things like beating other people. Yeah. Or like a combination. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what makes good competitive athletes. Yeah. So like the math teacher thing. So you're a math teacher. Was it those experiences in high school that made you want to become a math teacher? Um, yeah, my calculus teacher was actually phenomenal. His name was Mr. LaFrance and he was so dreamy and he had sky blue eyes and he was actually a mountain biker and he loaned me his wife's road bike to do my first Grand Fondo on. So that was, I was pretty bummed he was married, but I was a high schooler. So that's, you know, a thing. <laughs> and um, he, I just, I, he had such an impact on me because he made math so much fun. And I had a bad experience earlier on in school with math. So it really, it really had an impact on me that the teacher you have is the, the reason some kids end up liking math and science is not because they're better at it. It's because they have teachers that inspire them. And some kids think that they're bad at it, but that's just because they never had the right teacher or their parents never told them like, you may have failed that test, but that doesn't mean you're not a math person. Like you can still do good in math. We just got to figure out the way your brain works and we got to find what motivates you. And we got to figure out, you know, like what makes you tick and what makes you excited about learning something. So yeah, definitely that had a huge impact on me. 
That's so cool. And it's so funny because, like, I actually had a crush on my high school calculus <gasps> teacher as well. Mr. No Meyer. way. Yep, Mr. Meyer. He was not into cycling, and he was very disappointed whenever I bailed, um, when I, quote, retired from engineering. He was very sad because I, <laughs> I actually kept in touch oh. with him. But <laughs> maybe that's creepy. I don't know. But yeah, like I had I had math teachers in high school that I love too, and I almost um I almost became a math teacher actually because like I, no way yeah cause, like I was working as an engineer doing like solar stuff, and with a master's you can teach at community college. So yeah. I, so I was actually seriously considering like changing and then going to be a, a high school calculus teacher. So I can relate oh, cool. with you like in so many ways. Well, you still could. It's not too late. It's not too late. The kids are <laughs> backup career. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's the yeah. best job. It's seriously the best job because you don't work nine to five. You're not sitting at a desk all day. You're around a bunch of little human beings who all have these different life experiences. And when you really like step back and look at it as like in the moment, sometimes I get really frustrated by things. But when I step back and look at like things that happen throughout the day, the interactions I have with these little human beings who are all figuring out who they are and what makes them tick is fascinating. And it's, it just makes me feel like I have the most important job in the world because I could be the one who helps someone find their passion or realize that they don't suck at math or, or whatever it is. And it's just, it's inspiring to me that I have the potential to inspire them. Yeah. And like, like you, you are inspiring stuff. them. It's like, so, it's so awesome that you get to be that person. And it's, it's really clear that you are that person. I hope so. I hope so. Especially with the mountain biking. I feel like when I go out and I do workouts or when I go out and I do races and I don't have a good day or I fail in hitting my numbers in my workout or whatever. And then I get to the end of the workout and I'm super bummed and I want to cry or, or whatever experience I'm feeling then I think about my kids and I think like this must be how they feel when they fail a test. And the important thing isn't that I failed today or that they failed their test. It's that both of us get back up and try again tomorrow and just keep fighting. Every day is a new day. And and just like having the, the kids there to remind me of that. And like it's totally cyclical. Like I, I am inspired by them. And then I want to share all my experiences on the bike with them because I've experienced failure a lot. And so the kids who don't feel successful, it's, it's like kind of cool to have this other lens to look at. Cause like, well, you're good at math. That's why you're a teacher. I'm like, yeah, but I fail at stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, how much do you actually talk about your bike racing in school? Um, it's kind of hard to avoid because I have lots of scars all over my body. So <laughs> at some point early on in the school year, there's always a kid who's like, what is wrong with you? Why do you have so many scars on your arms? And then also their schedules say my full name on them. So they always Google search their teachers and then they find lots of embarrassing stuff on the internet, like lots of interviews that I've done. And so it's, I, I talk about it all year cause they pretty much know from the very beginning. Like, yeah, my teacher is the coolest person ever. No, they don't. They don't think that. They, they tell me I suck. What? <laughs> Most of, I think that this is just in jest. Like, I, I'm pretty sure they're joking, but I'll tell them I got fourth place in my race. I'm like, you don't, you're not very good at biking. Why didn't you win? Like, oh guys, gosh. first, first place was the world champion. They're like, yeah, but why didn't you win? Like, because uh... first place doesn't work full time. Like, yeah, but Mrs. Connors, you got fourth. <laughs> Mrs. Connors. Oh my gosh. Or I'll crash imagine. and I'll be like, I'll crash and I'll be like, you're not very good at your hobby, are you? You crash a lot. 
Like, you got to crash to get better, guys. That's so funny. <laughs> so, like, what's it like? Because these kids, like, when we went through school, and I think I'm a bit older than you, but, like, when we went through school, it's like, I didn't have a smartphone. Like, the cell phone was, like, this giant, like, brick. Mm-hmm. And just the way that we interacted as human beings, like, there wasn't social media when I was in high school. Yeah. So, like, how, how do you think that affects these kids? And, like, how have you played a role or have you had to play a role in that regard? This is like a really big issue that I'm worried about right now, especially like the last year, because four years ago, I three years ago, I quit teaching to race my bike full time. And before I took a break to race, I didn't notice this issue at all. But since I came back to teaching, I've noticed that a lot of my kids have diagnosed anxiety or depression. And I don't know if it's because we're talking about it more as a society and it's not stigmatized as much as it used to be. Or like from my perspective, it seems to me like the kids are not sleeping eight hours a night and they're looking at screens all the time and they're on social media and it's causing them to be depressed and have anxiety because they're not going outside and exercising and being in the sunshine and and sleeping. And like this is an issue that's really upsetting me right now. Because I, I talk to kids like, Jesus, why are you so tired? And Jesus will tell me, oh, I didn't go to bed till 3 a.m. Like, why oh. did you go to bed at 3 a.m.? And he's like, oh, I was playing Fortnite on my phone. Like, wait, that's not a good reason to be going to bed at 3 a.m. every night. Like, you should be doing your math homework and going to bed at 9. Like, your parents should be taking the phone away or shutting it down at 9. Like, I don't have self-control to turn my phone off sometimes. And it's like 1030 at night. And I'm like, why am I still looking at my phone? And if I'm an adult and I don't have that self-control, kids are designed to not have self-control. Like that's their job. So it's really scary that they have little computers in their hand all the time. And it's distracting them from their school. It's causing them to think everyone else's life is better than theirs. It's get like cyberbullying is such an issue and they're not sleeping and they're not out in the sunshine. It's just, I just really, I'm worried about the generation of kids that are coming through high school right now. I'm really worried about them. Yeah. And I mean, kids and then also just adults too, like how even, even racers, like all of us, all of the female pro racers, it's like, we're all looking at each other's social media and getting wound up of like, Oh, I'm not training enough or I'm not, I'm not good enough, or like my photos aren't professional enough, or like I'm just not enough. And like we're grown ups. Like I can't imagine what yeah. that would be like as a kid. Yeah, that was one of the hardest lessons for me to learn in the last five years is that you can't compare yourself to anyone else because they're only projecting the most beautiful version of themselves. And then also in the in the most recent World Cup in Val de Sol, in the intro to the women's cross country race. They talked about uh, one of the racers, Helen Grober, who's actually stepping away from racing for a while. And she posted it on social media and they talked about it in the Red Bull coverage. And then they interviewed a bunch of women and they're just being really honest and open about the pressures that we face as bike racers. Like it's not just the time you spend on your bike racing that's a stress in your life. And I think it's so important that we're we're acknowledging it and that we're aware of it. And that's why it's so important to focus on having fun on your bike, because if you're not having fun, then all these other things start catching up to you and you get overwhelmed with like the comparison game and yeah, and I'm not good enough. And it's hard when sponsors look at your social media and they want to see beautiful, smiling, happy faces and perfect training days and all that. It's interesting. Yeah. So for you, like you were, you were racing full time and then you decided to go back to teaching. So 
like what are the pressures that you that you face on a regular basis and like those can be in like you, you mentioned intrinsic and extrinsic motivation but pressure can come from inside and I, I find that for all most of us it comes from the inside like the hardest ones yeah I, I think I felt a lot more pressure when I was racing full-time because it felt like a job and I felt like I had to perform to justify the fact that I wasn't working and and going back to school has been a huge like sigh of relief for me because I understand that when you're a professional bike racer, you're inspiring other people to, to do new things, to try the sport, to push themselves and all that's all great. But for me personally, I didn't feel like I was contributing to society in a tangible way. So, and I had all those pressures and it was stressful. So going back to school helps me keep the balance of like, I know that I'm doing something that's helping someone in some way as a teacher. So now I can, race my bike as a hobby, I can have a great time, I can absolutely shred and win races or do whatever. But at the end of the day, if I don't perform well, I don't have to stress out about like, I know that I have this other thing in my life that's giving me the balance of you're not worthless. Like you got a bad result. It's okay. You didn't win nationals. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Because um, for me personally, like I was working a full-time job and now I could just be a bike racer, but for what exactly what you just said, like, I just can't do that because I need to have other things going on. And yeah. it didn't occur to me as to maybe why until what you just said, which is really funny because I think about it all the time and it's like, I have all these projects going on. And I think it's because I can say, well, if I'm not the best in bike racing, then at least I do X, Y, Z, ABC, like all these other things. And I yeah. think that that does take the pressure off. So it's almost like really admirable for people that quote, and I don't even want to say it this way because there's, there's, there's sponsor obligations and social media and all that stuff now, but the people who quote just bike race, that that is a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's a full-time job too. I, I completely acknowledge that people who race full-time and don't have an outside job are doing a lot of work. They're not just racing and sleeping. It's, it just wasn't the right fit for me. And I lost, I think I always told myself when I started racing that if I wasn't smiling when I was racing, that I needed to walk away from it because I didn't want to be doing it if it didn't bring me joy. And there was a point, I mean, I was still enjoying it a lot. I still do enjoy it a lot, but having the job on the side really makes me appreciate getting to the start line a ton more personally. And some people don't need that, but I really need that balance. And I, mm -hmm. I don't know for, for me personally, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of commitment and a lot of sacrifice to my social life, but it just, it makes more sense for me. So yeah, like a quote from your blog, you said, although it's hard to train race and work full time for me personally, it's healthier to have the balance and to know that the race results don't really matter at the end of the day, because there's so much more going on in my life. Yeah. And my students, I was like, guys, guess who I met? I met Lance Armstrong this weekend. They're like, who's that? And then I was like, oh my gosh, no matter what I accomplish in this life, unless my face is on money, no one's going to remember me. So, <laughs> and, and even then they might not even know who's on the money. <laughs> and I read, I don't remember who posted this on Twitter the other day, but it was something about the progression of like being a professional in anything. First, you think I'm not important. And then the second step is 
I'm so important. And the third step is I want to work on something important. And I, I feel like I've gone through all those phases. Like for a while, I thought I was so important when I was raising World Cups. Like I thought I was the biz, the bee's knees. But now it's like, no, I want to be doing something that's important. Like I want to be working on a project that's important, like coaching the high schoolers and being a math teacher. And then the bike racing is fun and great. And, and I love it. But it, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to be so focused on myself cuz that was the other stress I had when I was racing is what I need to eat, when I need to sleep, how much I need to train, where I need to travel to, and it got exhausting being that selfish. Yeah. In yeah, a weird and, way. And I think what you did is you just <laughs> nailed on the head like everybody has their own why. And like some people's mm-hmm. why is to like be the best, be number 1 at whatever it is that they're doing. And like that's totally cool. Where yeah. it was like other people's why, and this is, I relate with you on this a lot. Like you said that your why is to lift others up, to have a great time riding bikes and spreading stoke. And like, yeah, exactly. you don't have to win. Like we want to win races. We're competitive as hell. Like when we like, yeah. you, know, you know, but you, <laughs> but ultimately like the race result doesn't matter in the end. Like you can do all those things without winning a race. Exactly. Exactly. And then the cherry on top is traveling to new places and meeting new people and riding new trails and having this crazy van life adventure in the summer, <laughs> it's yeah. the best life. So speaking of the best <laughs> life, like I, on your social media, um, there's like hashtag best day ever. Like that's kind of your tagline, <laughs> which I love. So I want to hear more about that and where that came from. I don't remember how it started, but I, my best friend in college is, her name is Taryn and I'm actually staying at her house right now in Leadville, but What's up, Taryn? she, <laughs> I, I think that she started another best day because Every day that you wake up and go do something new, you have the opportunity to make the decision that it's the best day, even if it's not like the ideal ideal location or ideal whatever's happening. You have the power to make it the best day if you choose to make it the best day. So I kind of want everything I do in life, I want to make every day the bet, a better day than yesterday because – it, I mean, what's the point of living if I'm not going to choose to really enjoy every day to the fullest? So. I feel like every time I get on my bike, you know, there's air in my tires and my legs are spinning and I'm looking at nature. And that to me is the end all be all of, of existence. So that's how it started was in college. And then it just kind of carried on. And I have had some rough times in life. Like everyone experiences the roller coaster of emotions, especially bike racers. And like Yolanda Neff has mentioned this recently in social media that like when she's happy, she's on top of the world. And when she's sad, it's like the world is ending. And I like through riding that roller coaster for the last 32 years, I've kind of learned that like I do have the power to decide how I'm going to accept my fate in any given situation. And I've experienced really kind of terrible times. And in college, I was so poor, I could only eat the fruit in the research orchard. I couldn't afford to buy food. And I didn't know how I was going to pay rent. And it was rough. But like, I had a bike and I would go ride with the triathlon team. And I just by like choosing to be happy, it I got through that really tough time. And I don't know, just my mindset was what made her break. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what it was. It was like my choosing to be happy is how I survived that. Because yeah, like- it could have been like really depressing. Yeah, like that was like major adversity and you had a choice in that moment. And I think that our true our who we are and who we want to be kind of comes out in those hardest moments. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I'm like always happy because I think I don't know. I hear 
I kind of portray that I'm always happy on social media and it is a little stressful because I don't, I don't know. I don't want people to think like unrealistically. I'm not on Prozac or anything. (laughs) And I have had like sad times and I have had days where I've cried my eyeballs out. And like, there's been really like terrible stuff that's happened in my life. But at the end of the day, like every day I wake up, it's like a new opportunity to make this the best day ever. And that's the coolest thing about being a human is like every day you wake up, it could be the best day. All you need is good coffee and a bicycle. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a lot to ask. Yeah, having that perspective is incredibly powerful because you can keep going back to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, like, I want to talk about, I want to get in there and I want to talk about those days where you don't feel good, like where you feel disappointed or frustrated because, like, we all feel that way. And I want to create a space where you're comfortable to talk about that because it helps people. To, yeah. It helps people to hear that we're all human. And so, how do you, like, how do you deal with that when things aren't going the way you want them to go? Oh, geez. That's a tough question. And I like, I feel like I should know the answer because I just, my, this year, my month of April was really rough with like disappointment in my result at nationals. And my grandma passed away while I was racing in whiskey 50. And then I, I just was having really bad training days because of depression and not depression, but just, I was really down and I was traveling a lot for the funeral back and forth across the country for races and the funeral every weekend. And it was all just kind of like taking a toll on my body and working full time in between. (laughs) And I, I think, I don't know if I have an answer for how I deal with it, but because I like, to some extent, I do think that you need to feel the bad things to be able to like for the good things to feel so good. So I think the only, the only answer I have is that I've been through enough bad things in my life at this point. I mean, they're not that bad compared to other, other people have way worse struggles. So I don't want to make it sound like, like I've, I don't know, experienced the worst, the worst, but at this point, because I can look back in the past at all the roller coaster of really bad times and really high times, I just know when I'm in the low, the depths of the low, that it'll ride itself out and that eventually things will, the ship will ride itself and, and I'll be back in clear skies and things will be good again. And so just feeling the emotions, like not embracing the pain, but just like experiencing it and not trying to shove it away or hide it, just like living it out and experiencing it makes the highs that much higher. So I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if a psychologist would tell you that's a good answer. Well, I'm, I'm You're like, a, no, stop talking. I'm no psychologist, but like, yeah, what, what, what I just heard you say was like, okay, realizing that it's not permanent and it's not going to be like that forever. And, yeah. and just that realization. And then also, um, knowing that it's going to get better and knowing that if you have patience, that it's going to get better. And those are two really important things. Yeah. And it's, I think that's one of the other cool things about, well, it's one of the cool things about getting older because when I was young, when I was in high school and college, I thought I never want to be in my thirties cause that's depressing. But <laughs> now that I'm in my thirties, I'm like, I freaking love being in my thirties because I have such a better perspective about life. And I understand way more that when things suck, they're not going to suck forever. So I don't need to like cry into my pillow all night. Like if it hurts, but it's okay. Like let it hurt. And keep moving forward and find something that brings you joy in that moment and just embrace those small things like going out and buying a, I don't know, cardamom coconut latte (laughs) just to ease the pain a little bit. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I love that about being a teacher because my kids, I see them go through really painful things like a breakup or um, I had a student whose uncle was deported and they were really torn up about it. Like kids who just face really hard things in their lives or, or even worse. I had students who had really, really terrible lives at home and it, it feels so it's so rad that I have the opportunity. Like I don't, I'm not a psychologist, so I try not to like cross the line, but to just kind of like keep reinforcing the idea that it gets better. Like it'll get better. It's going to be okay. It gets better. Like life gets better. And I, I don't know, that's just such a powerful thing to, to know that you have the opportunity to help, like help these kids see the perspective that it's not always going to be this shitty. Yeah. I love that. That's, I think it's really good advice. I love that about being a teacher. And it's like heartbreaking at the same time because there's kids that you learn things about their lives and you're like, I, I wish I could do something to make that better, but I can't. And it really sucks. And I have had, I've heard some pretty sad stories in the last two years, but from kids who just come to school every day and somehow they're still there and they're still trying. I'm like, this is so cool. These kids are so rad. Yeah, and that also adds to your perspective too, and and to yeah. all of all of us who are listening. Yeah, yeah, because the things that are depressing to me, I'm like, oh, woe is me! I got third place in a race, and then I come to school and I find out like something's happening in this kid's life, and I'm like, holy shit! You need to stop complaining right now. <laughs> your life is amazing compared to this. <laughs> Put a smile on and do something that's gonna help that kid's life. Like, don't don't. Uh, sit in the dark and complain about what's going on in your life. <laughs> yeah. So ch- changing gears a little bit, I want to ask you about time management because you train, like I am so impressed with the amount of hours that you train. Like, like you <laughs> it's train, not a good thing. Like, I think you train like, <laughs> is it like 20 hours a week? Is that normal? Is that like an average for you? No, it's like 30 hours a week. <laughs> right. <laughs> right now it's only 20 because I'm on summer break. So I'm not commuting. And also I'm on a short leash right now. So my coach has been like, stop riding. You're riding too much. But but it's, it's a bad thing. And it's a self-control issue that I will always be working on. <laughs> yeah. So like, how do you like, how do you make the time to do that? Because like, there's people who probably work, you know, 40 hours a week and are just trying to ride, ride 15 hours a week. So like, how like, what do you how's your schedule? Like, how do you do it? I mean, okay, so I feel really lucky. Like, I feel like a lucky jerk because part of it is just that I have this amazing job where I start work at seven o'clock in the morning and I get off at two 30 in the afternoon. So like if you have that kind of a schedule, it helps. But also I live in a place where it rarely ever rains. And if it does, it's 50 degrees outside. So you can ride your bike in the rain. You're not going to die. And my bike commute is like all on rural roads with no red lights. So I'm just, I just got really, really, really lucky And I didn't have a car when I started teaching when I was in college. So I had to bike commute to student teach. And I started that habit out of like necessity. And I had to ride 15 miles each way to West Sacramento to student teach. And there were days it was so cold outside. My water bottles would freeze solid by the time I got to school. But just because I had to do it, I got in the habit. And then when I start, when I moved to Southern California, it was just a thing. Like it wasn't an issue to bike commute. So a lot of people, it's like, oh, I, I don't know. I, I work 10 miles away. It seems like a lot of work. But if you just start doing it, it becomes second nature. Like it, it ends up not being any different than driving. You just have to force yourself to jump in. And that's where I get most of my hours is commuting because I commute 
was like 10 hours, 15 ish hours a week. Cause and the way there's like, an hour. Is that like low intensity riding or do you do intervals on the way to work? On the way home, it'll be like a recovery spend cause mostly downhill and on the way home, multiple days a week on the way home, I'll do intervals. Mm-hmm. So that, that'll be anything from like just intervals and I don't add mileage to sometimes I ride up and over the mountain behind my house and I'm adding like 5,000 feet of climbing <laughs> on my bike commute home. And I'm like, I'm the luckiest person in the world. Like I don't ever want to take that for granted because I can, I have a mountain that I can do that on. <laughs> Who's that lucky? <laughs> yeah. And like, how, how do you recover from those workouts? Cause like, I just think of like myself and if I try and train those kinds of hours and then work like out, you know, work quote works, my work's really different than yours. Um, and probably yeah, less yeah. training than yours. Cause I don't have to like, <laughs> you know, help kids <laughs> life advice. Um, like how, how do you recover from that? Like, how do you continue to have quality workouts? Um, I think so in the beginning of the school year this year, I don't know why this year was so different, but it was really hard because I'd get home and my skin would be so swollen from standing all day that my, my legs would hurt to the touch. But I have, I have those like elevated legs recovery boots now. So if I'm like swollen and achy, even just from working, like if I didn't even have a workout that day, if I squeeze my legs for a half hour, it makes a big difference. But so elevated legs definitely makes a difference. But also, um, I go to bed really early every night. So I like sleep is my number one priority out of anything, especially out of like being social. So we don't really have a social life during the school year, my husband and I, and it's kind of sad. Like some people would think it's sad, but I'm happy with my schedule. So I don't really know what I'm missing, I guess, but I, I only work ride and sleep. That's any, those are the only things I do. So that's how So like, how much <laughs> give up you your get? social life, <laughs> a, a minimum of eight hours a night. Mm-hmm. And I'm like super religious about bedtime. So it's like 830. For a while, I had to wake up at 430 in the morning to ride to school because I was teaching a zero period. So I would start teaching at 650 in the morning. And that like 430 wake up call, if I go to bed at eight every night, it's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't have a social life if you do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, how do you stay motivated through through all of that? Because some some people need like that social life aspect to recharge or like some people just burn out whenever there's not a lot of variety when it's like sleep ride work. And I noticed some people can do that at a really high level like you do. I have some friends here in Kelowna that can do that, but other people just like can't handle it. So like how do you how do you stay motivated? I don't actually know the answer to that question either because I feel like every time I get on my bike, I'm just so freaking stoked that it, it <laughs> the thing I need motivation for is to take rest days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but also it's my ego because this is really bad and I shouldn't say this out loud, but I've already written on about this on my blog. So I guess it's not a secret, but like Strava and the fact that it like adds up the elevation that you ride and it adds up the miles you ride, like seeing those numbers, I love numbers. That's why I'm a math teacher and seeing those numbers get bigger and bigger is like so exciting to me. I don't, I don't know why it's really exciting. And then my Garmin, when I'm climbing, I'm like, I've climbed 5,000 feet. I have climbed five more thousand feet today in one day. And it's just, I don't, Something's wrong with my brain. That's how I stay motivated. (laughs) You like, you like achievement. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I just push my body further and harder than I've ever pushed it. That's so cool. Let's do more. 
Yeah. <laughs> in January, the last, well, in December, the last week of 2017, I was like, I've never ridden 500 miles in a week. I'm going to do it. So I rode 500 miles. And the next week I was like, I can't not ride 500 miles this week. So I rode 550. That's... And then it was really disappointing the week after because my body was too broken to ride 500 miles again. Yeah. So like <laughs> you, you mentioned multiple times you have a coach. So like, do you, like, do you listen to your coach or like, do you get in fights with your coach? <laughs> um, I'm really lucky because he is a very type B personality. So I'm sure I do things that he's like really frustrated or roll in his eyes, but he never expresses these emotions to me. So <laughs> mostly he's like doing damage control a lot of the time, but he just told me, so this summer is going to be pretty interesting because I, I'm theoretically going to raise 500 mile races in five or six weeks. Plus I did a 50 mile race three days before the first hundred. So like, it's going to be a lot of racing and a lot of long distance racing and they take a long time to recover from. And honestly, I'm doing it because I have a huge ego and I want to prove that I can, which is not maybe the best motivation, but whatever. Well, that's, so like, that's my... like saying, Oh, I got to do it. Cause it's there. It's not like a huge ego. It's like, you just curious. Yeah, can can my body handle this? And so my coach, so last year my goal, my big goal was to win Leadville, and I just found out on Monday of this week that my coach was really worried last year because I was racing, I did 400 mile races in 5 weeks last year. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, so including Leadville. And so apparently all summer which, he was wait, biting. Wait, wait, I got to interrupt. Which you won, yeah. which, you know, like I just want everybody to know that cause that's like <laughs> that's amazing. It was fun. It was a good day. I'll, I'll take your horn for you. I, I got to do it. it. Suck. <laughs> so, so I just found out that like I, I rolled into Telluride the day before the Telluride 100 last summer with no plans of doing it. And my friend Lauren, who I was traveling with was like, there's a race here tomorrow. You should sign up. And I was like, I don't know. I just did a big workout, whatever. I'll do it. So I signed up. And then a weekend, a week later, there was a race in Breckenridge, a hundred miles. And she was like, you should do this race. Oh, you'll definitely do well. And I was like, well, okay, fine. I guess I'll do it. And then just every week there was a hundred mile race to do. So apparently my coach was like biting his fingernails, like super like anxious about how Leadville would turn out. Cause he was like, you were riding yourself into the ground and I didn't know what was going to happen, but he didn't express any of that to me. So like, I just thought it's fine. Everything's good. So I'm just lucky that he's, he knows what he's doing. He's like, got it dialed. Like he knows the mind game. Yeah. That's important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause if he was like, if he was expressing this concern to me, then I probably would get worried. And then my anxiety would probably translate into, I don't know, less good recovery and less, or maybe not as good results. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Like maybe it would mess with your self-belief a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just need him to say, you can do it. And if he says that, then I believe it and I do it. Like, I feel like that's happened multiple times. He's like, you, you're going to win Leadville. You can do it. And I was like, okay, if you think so. Yeah, it's <laughs> You know everything. Like, when someone believes in you, like what a difference that makes. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Huge difference. <laughs> Good job, Matt Freeman. and like you're so yeah you mentioned you are married and like what kind of support does your husband give you like for me personally like my husband is amazing he inspires me he he's the one who tells me you can do it and I'm like oh 
I guess I can do it. So having a strong partner is really, for me, a really big deal. And I, I, it seems like you have that too. Well, my husband is also very type B and he, like, I know that he believes in me, but he doesn't express it verbally very often. But what he does do is he designs the bikes that I race. So like, yeah, it's really cool. We, I have, I don't understand how I got so lucky in this life. Like all these things, like my bike commute and I just like, like math teaching is the best job for being a bike racer. And like, I feel like I stumbled into all these situations. Like I don't deserve any of this. And it just kind of happened on accident, but he, he works at felt bicycles and he designed the bike. I raced Leadville on last year. And it was like, he redesigned the whole bike. So he changed everything about it. He made this amazing bike. It's super fun. It it's a like a hundred mil front and rear dual suspension cross country bike that weighs like 19 pounds and it descends like a trail bike. It's so fun to descend on that. I don't even ride my trail bike anymore, which he also designed, but it's like, I just feel so lucky that he, he knows so much and I know, I know he cares about me and he believes me because he puts all his time and energy into researching what components to put on my bike and he'll spend all his energy swapping out my crank arms and, uh, I don't know, something goes wrong with a part of my bike and he's the one dealing with the warranty and he's like, he's on it a hundred percent. And so he's not like, he's not that person in the corner who's like, you can do it. You're going to win, but he's doing all this other stuff to make my life easier. So that's, that's how he supports me. Yeah. I mean, like you hear the quote, it takes a village and like each person yeah, that you sure. have in your crew, like makes a big difference. Yeah. 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 And he's that person. Does he get to and go I, to the races with you? Not a lot of them. It's really sad. He's at home working where it's 114 degrees right now. Oh man. <laughs> you thought Moab was hot. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> Every summer. I leave the day school gets out and I live in the van and I race my bike and I don't come home until basically the week school starts again. And I go to like beautiful places where the weather is nice and he's at home in the summer in Southern California, sweating it out. I miss our anniversary every year. Today is his birthday. I'm not at home. (laughs) He's the best husband. Yeah, super supportive. (laughs) and he like puts all his time and energy into making the van run well and who uses the van 90 percent of the time me (laughs) i'm kind of a spoiled brat (laughs) bless you thank you so uh yeah van life let's let's chat about that like i've been actually a little bit jealous of your van life pictures (laughs) (laughs) well it's pretty rad um it's different this year than it's been in the past because my best friend lives in leadville now so i have a house and a shower but we our van is super simple and it's it's older and it's not kitted out like with ladders and things because i want to be so super stealth and sleep in parking lots and sleep on the side of roads and not get kicked out but it's it's definitely interesting how much van life has taken off and was in crested butte last week there's just a hundred sprinter vans and it was almost a little sad because it doesn't feel unique anymore, but I had to remind myself, like, all these people are getting out and seeing nature. How cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like learning the lesson that, like, another female's success doesn't take away from my own success. So it's, like, okay to be happy for other people when they win races or when they do well. Because I, I definitely struggle with, like, seeing someone else successful and thinking, like, oh, well, there was no competition at that race. I'm like, you bitch. Why are you thinking these things? <laughs> yeah, but like we all think that. And then we'll even think it about ourselves. Like, yeah. Then, because if you, 
Yeah, if you think that about other people, then we're our we're our own biggest critic, and then we apply that yep. to other people. So like, then yep. you can't even enjoy your own success. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm I'm still learning a lot of things. Thank you, Van. <laughs> <laughs> So like, what do you do when you get tired? Because like, you're doing all these things, like you're working, you're training a lot, you're racing hundred milers every weekend. Like you just did a really hard one, the Tatanka 100. Like, how do you, like, how do you deal with it when it's not, when it's not going the way you want it to go in a race when you're like, Oh, I'm tired. Like I want to quit. So last year was the first year I did any hundred milers. And I, I don't remember when I heard Rebecca Rush say this, but Rebecca Rush is a big proponent of like what you tell yourself in your head makes a big difference about how your body performs. And if you tell yourself you feel good, you can trick yourself into feeling good. So last year I did that a lot. And I like surprisingly was racing the Breck 100 with a head cold in the rain. And I was like, you feel great. And I was like, wow, I really do feel great. Okay. And I just kept, I did not feel great, but I just tricked myself into continuing going. So I think a lot of it is just the stories we tell ourselves. Like, you can convince yourself of anything. It, that could be a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it, if you choose to do it in a positive way, it could be a very powerful thing. So I, a lot of positive self-talk. And also, I'm in the summer, I make sure I take a lot of time to decompress. And I do a lot of reading, which I haven't done a lot of this year. But like last year, I read, th- read three novels when I was on the road. So I did a lot of sitting in the van and just reading and just staying still in one place. And I have a lot of energy and I want to always be moving and outdoors and active, but I'm really focusing on reining it in and like having self-control and, and trying to be a better person in that respect. That is the <laughs> hardest possible thing. Like I really struggle with that as well. Like, okay, we've got to dial this back. And it's like, how do you actually rest? And like, what counts as rest? Yeah, exactly. Cause you do a hundred things and then you live in a beautiful place and you probably also like me, don't ever want to be indoors when the sun's out. No. <laughs> so it's just it's an exercise in self-control i'm i'm seeing it as a, a an area of personal growth there you go <laughs> so like you do like a lot of hundred milers now you just said you just started so wait you said last year you just started hundred milers and then you won leadville like in the same year <laughs> which is awesome um so like how do you like hundred milers compared to cross country and like for you how are they different um so God, that's a hard question too. I like cross country a lot, but cross country races, you have to go 110% for an hour and a half. And then after an hour and a half, it's like, you just rode so hard. You can't see straight and you're not allowed to ride your bike anymore. Cause you have to recover. But hundred mile races, I get to ride my bike for like eight hours at a time. That's my favorite. And when felt was going to launch the edict, the bike I raced last year at Leadville, when they asked me if I would race Leadville, I was like, hold on. If I do this race, then my coach is going to give me eight-hour training rides every weekend instead of two-hour training rides every weekend. Yes, sign me up. I want that life because I want to ride my bike every damn day, and I don't have to worry about this self-control issue as much. There you go. <laughs> so that's – wait, what was the question? Uh, like it was what, what, oh, do yeah. you, like, what do you like about – well, now I can't even remember. What do that's you like, it. What do you like about you know, cross-country versus 100-milers? Yeah, I think that's the answer is that I like 
I like the fact that I get to be outside all day on my bike. And Mm -hmm. a lot of these races take places in different locations than the cross country races did. So I raced cross country for four or five years and I went to Missoula, Montana every summer and I ate the same ice cream at Big Dipper. It was great. It was a sweet experience. I loved it. But after a while, you're like, I've been to Missoula. What else is there? And the hundred miles are all in different locations. Last weekend, I was in South Dakota for the first time ever. I love South Dakota. I didn't know what to expect, but it's an amazing state. I would never have experienced it if I didn't race the Tatanka 100. So it's cool to go to new places, and I'm, I'm loving that aspect of it too. Meet new people, see new trails, find out about new parts of the country. Uh, where else have I been from? Oh, I'd never raced in St. George before, and then True Grit. That was such a cool experience. Yeah, that race is awesome. That was so cool that was to so see you there. Cool. I was so bummed I couldn't race, but it was so cool to I see you I know. I wished you had been in the race too next year. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. That one in the Breck 100 are my favorite hundreds. Yeah, Breck is Breck is special. That's pretty cool. That's this weekend. Oh, is it? Awesome. Yeah, and I'm you're scared. Going, and you're going. I'm very scared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared that I won't be recovered from from last Saturday because last Saturday was so brutal. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, like you mentioned, you <laughs> wanted to quit, like in your blog post. Like, can you? Like, and I, I think it's funny because people don't realize that you could be winning a race and you still want to quit. Like that's actually oh, not, yeah. that's actually not uncommon. <laughs> oh yeah. The only thing that keeps me going sometimes is the fact that I'm winning. And I'm like, if someone catches me and I'm not winning anymore, then I get to quit. No, that's a terrible attitude. But still like I'm only continuing to push the pedals forward because I'm in first place. If I wasn't, I don't know what I would do. Cause uh, there were times Last weekend where I just stopped on the side of the trail and looked around and I was like, how long can I sit here? Like, I, I will sit here for half an hour if I can, because I don't want to keep going forward anymore. <laughs> That's never happened before. Yeah. That was the first time. Yeah. <laughs> it was a hundred degrees and, uh, I was very tired from racing firecracker. Yeah. Like two days before. <laughs> yeah, it was a dumb idea. It was a really dumb idea. <laughs> Yeah, so like when you're doing the races when you're not in first place, because there's been like there's been races where you like you didn't win, and like your kids said, <laughs> and, <laughs> like how do you stay motivated to keep pushing forward and keep trying in those ones? Um, so yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> uh so I think th- there's a big difference between the hundred mile races and and cross country. I actually I don't want to sound like an asshole, but. I actually haven't ever done a hundred mile race where I wasn't winning the whole time. Mm-hmm. I've done cross country and marathon races where I wasn't winning, but n- the hundred milers, like my st- people are going to know my strategy now and I- I'm not going to win any races anymore, but I like to go out way too hard, way, way, way too hard while everyone else is like, I will pace myself like a smart human. And then I blow myself up and I just pray that I've created enough of a gap when I went out too hard that I can hold it off till the end. So I've, like I've never experienced that in a hundred mile race, but in cross country races it's different because there's like always people around. So there's someone you can sit on their wheel or like you see the next person up ahead or, you know, there's a one minute gap to the next person. And I think with cross country, a lot of it was about like trying to do my personal best. Not, I wasn't comparing myself to other people. It was like, I need to race my own personal race. And if that means I start out in 15th place and I move up to fourth or I start out in fourth and I stay in fourth. Like what is, what is my personal best today? Like don't worry about what the other people can do. Cause there's always going to be people faster than me. 
Because, like, any random time, a 22-year-old can pick up a mountain bike and find out she's incredibly gifted. And there you go. I'll never win a 100-mile race again because she could beat me every time. Because I think that's the cool thing about the sport is it's still, like, new enough and growing fast enough that any given day there could be someone else picking up a bike who has this incredible talent. And your time in the spotlight is going to be over in a flash. So you just have to focus on doing your own personal best. God, that was a long-winded answer. Yeah, you know, I also think that there can be lots of people <laughs> that can be good. Like, yeah, I, I actually have the same experience as you with hundred-mile races. Yeah, um, yeah. Like <laughs> you go out, you go out hard, and then you're in the lead, no yeah. one around. Yeah, and and, and kind of used to just like that. That's my strength. That's my forte. Like hundred miles, but then. But then, yeah, it's like realizing that there are going to be people like I actually think if you and I went head to head that you would beat me. And like, I, I don't know. Well, I No, I think so. Like, I do think so. I don't think so. I think it would be a really interesting battle. <laughs> we'll both want to quit because we're not in first place. Like, if we go back and forth. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> I bet Reggie Miller would be really into oh my gosh. having us throw down. But, you know, I, I think that I was thinking about this the other day because, like, also with stage racing, there's a lot of women coming into stage racing who I think would beat me now in a stage race. And it's like, that's just how it is. I've been doing it a long time. Now there's new people. And it's it's humbling. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm not as special as I used to be. And, like, how do you mentally process that? And I think that that's yeah. important to think about. Yeah, for sure. It's And that's one of the things where it's like being happy for other people's success is so important because if – I think so. I was at a SRAM um, at Sea Otter two or three years ago. I volunteered with the with Rebecca Rush's SRAM Gold Rush tour, and one of the women on the panel who spoke, some someone who has won multiple world championships, but I don't remember who it was because I'm an asshole. But she said something to the effect of, "You're gonna lose a lot more races than you win, so you need to figure out how to be happy when you don't win, because otherwise you'll be miserable your whole career." And you don't want that. Like you need to be happy no matter what. And you need to find a way to be happy. So like finding joy just from being on my bike or finding joy from pushing myself as hard as I possibly can or finding joy from someone else winning and them being successful is so important because otherwise it's you're just going to be disappointed and frustrated all the time. And like I've had that. I've been that person and it's not a fun place to be. Like I was that person after nationals and I, maybe I was a poor sport and maybe I could have handled it better, but I like went into that race thinking that it was mine, thinking it wasn't even going to be hard work at all. And then I didn't win. And it was really hard to deal with the disappointment in myself. And the, like I went back to Orange County and I was, I was volunteering to lead a pre-ride for a local Tuesday night race. And a man had the nerve to say to me when he passed me on the pre-ride, that he was really disappointed in me that I didn't win nationals and bring home the stars and bars to Orange County. And like literally I was crying while I was pre-riding with these other women. Like I was supposed to be leading a women's pre-ride and I'm like holding back tears because this man just said this to me. Like, you don't think this is hard enough for me to process on my own? Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, finding that, like finding joy for other people. Like I think that's really important. Yeah, and I think, celebrating I think other you can, people's success. I think you can still be sad for you, but you can be happy for other people and realizing that those two things are separate. Yeah. And yeah. And, and yeah, like I think that also when you really like your competitors, it's really easy to be happy for them, like if they're people that you like. But sometimes there's situations where it's like you don't you might not like everybody that you're competing against and then they beat you and like that's super frustrating too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and it's then, hard to be happy for them. 
Yep. And then I have to come back to, did I do what I needed to do? Like, did I race my smartest race? And if I didn't, I can learn from it and move on. But if I like, if I know I did the right thing, then at least I can be happy in that. And remember the kids and Lance Armstrong, they're not going to remember that you didn't win nationals in 10 years. No one's going to remember. It's not brain surgery. Well, yeah, like you didn't, you didn't remember that girl who won multiple world championships. Like we all think it's so important, the result. And like yeah. people people rarely remember the result, but they remember how you made them feel. And like yep. that goes back to the why that we talked about earlier, uplifting others, setting an example, spreading stoke. Because in the, at the end of the day, that's what matters. And like our results matter exactly. to us, but to other people, like they just don't care. Like they'll forget a week later. And that's one of the things that I think I really like about like your social media. And there's a couple other women who race at, at a really high level who like I constantly see them congratulating other women. So like they don't hesitate to say good job or congratulations or that's awesome. And and you do that a lot. And seeing that is such a good like affirmation to me. Like it's OK to tell someone else good job. Like you the more you do that, the happier a person I become and the happier that person is. So it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. And I, I love it. I think it comes down to like people like realizing that people are still going to love you and people like are still going to think you're good, even if you don't win every single time. And it's like when you, and don't, if they don't screw them, yeah, screw them. That guy, <laughs> he like, he sucks. But like, yeah. And, and it's like, when you don't win, that's when you're the most human to people who are watching yep. you. And that's when people can relate most to you is when you're not winning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one of my blog posts that got the most reads is titled That Time We Failed, about a time I failed to do a ride. And I was like, people like it when I fail? What? No, they're just like, oh my gosh, Larissa actually fails at something. Like, this is amazing. She's a human. To, to be fair, it was Carl's fault. Carl. <laughs> yeah, Carl's my training buddy, and his job during the summer is to ride his bike until his legs fall off so that when I get back from traveling, he can keep up with me. And last year, he did not do his job. So I got back, and then some dude was like, we should do this ride where we ride over Santiago Peak and Palomar Peak in one day. It's 200 miles with oh a lot of climbing. And I was like, oh, oh, we're doing it. And I had to prove to everyone that I'm more <laughs> badass than them. So instead of taking the train, I want to do the whole loop by myself. And I like, brought Carl along and Carl, Carl just, he just couldn't hang. I had to leave him under a tree. <laughs> <laughs> In the town of Lake Elsinore, which is not a, not a great place to stay, to be under a tree in spandex. All right. Well, I'll remember that if I ever, if we ever go on a 200 mile ride, I, I better have Uber ready. <laughs> I'll ditch you. I'll leave you under a tree right, in a hundred degree heat. You'll be left under a tree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I promise I won't. I'm trying to, I have a reputation of doing that and I'm trying to get rid of that reputation. All right. I don't want to be that person. Anymore. <laughs> Whoops, let's not include that in this podcast. Right. It's long enough. We don't need to include that. We will cut 56 <laughs> minutes, cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> Sound guy Sound in guy. Romania? Uh, Ukraine. <laughs> Ukraine? Sorry. God, I'm a racist. <laughs> Wait, is that racism when you don't know the difference between Ukraine, Ukraine no, and Romania? I think that's just ge geographically challenged. That's being an American. Yes. Okay, so let's pick. Okay, so Roma, start again now. Cool. Well, do you, do you have any parting remarks for anybody who might be listening to the show, maybe about racing or maybe just about like taking on challenges that they want to do? Oh, geez. Well, I mean, 
Oh, man, I have to think about that. Oh, geez. Uh, well, okay, so, uh, all right, this is a great question. There's all these women in Southern California, and on, on social media they've been talking about, like, what are the bucket list rides, we sh- races we should do? What We want to start doing 100-mile races, and they're like regular women. Like, they're normal people. They're not professional athletes, and I'm so inspired by them. It's called Girls Gone Riding. It's a group in Southern California. They have, like, different chapters, and there's so many women in this group. It's in- incredible, and I just – Reading their the thread of their conversation about like them wanting to get into Leadville and train for Leadville has been really inspiring to me because they all like they're so brand new and they are a little bit scared about jumping in and like to me I think that if you have even an inkling of desire to go do a hundred mile race or to do a hundred k race or to do Leadville that just sign yourself up and jump in with both feet because it is such a rad experience to push your body that long and that hard and you're capable of it like you may have your doubts I have my doubts about my own self but like anyone can do it all it takes is like a little bit of perseverance and enough food and water but believe in yourself because anyone literally anyone can do it it's like learning math Like there's no such thing as a math person or a non-math person. We're all capable of learning math. You just need to believe in yourself and have someone else who believes in you too. And like, that's what I want people to know. Just do it. Just jump in. Dive in. Do epic shit. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Sign up. (laughs) Yeah. And also it's a great excuse to like go to cool places and do long training rides with friends and enjoy the process because the process of getting to Leadville or the process of getting to that bucket list race, that's the part that you should really, that's the part that you should live for. The race is just the cherry on top, but like really enjoy all those training rides. Make sure you get out and see as many new places as possible because I don't know. I've seen a lot of this country at this point, and I'm blown away by how cool this place is. America. North America has the best riding in the world. Like, people don't realize it, but it it truly, truly does. And if you can't afford to go to Europe or you can't afford to go out of the country, you have so much cool riding here within a six-hour drive of wherever you are. So just get in that car, go find a sweet trail, and go shred some gnar. I love it. That's a good spot to end it. <laughs> yeah. Where can, yeah. Where that's can, my where message. Can, where can people find you on the internets? And I'll put it in the show notes too. Oh, I thought you were going to say in real life. And I'll say in the white van down by the Walmart. Down by the river. <laughs> <laughs> um, In the internets, my blog is lorisaconnors.com. But if you just search Larissa Connors, you'll see all kinds of weird shit. <laughs> and by weird, I mean hilarious. Embarrassing. Lots of Don't photos search. of you with a big smile. That's guaranteed. <laughs> and, and really embarrassing videos. <laughs> a man told me at the end of Tatanka that he was riding with another dude who was like, you got to Google search that girl. It's really funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, um, okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, I just want to take a second to acknowledge you and just say thank you for being Aww. so authentically you and for being vulnerable and for doing epic shit. It's a really great example for everybody. And I'm so glad you came on the show. Thank you for inspiring me. Cause you do epic shit too. And you're like the positive person that I look up to. Aww. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> We're just gonna keep doing this all day. Let's just go in circles. Another best day ever. <laughs> yeah, it's the best day. <laughs> cool, thanks, Larissa. Oh, thanks, Anya. That is a girl after my own heart. Larissa and I, I feel like, are cut from the same cloth. Loving math, having a crush on our high school math teacher, having that love for endurance, mountain biking, and 100-mile races. She is super fun, and I'm really thankful that she's in my life and that she was able to come on the show. Make sure you follow her on Instagram and on her blog, which she updates on a weekly basis. She writes really fun race reports and stories about her adventures. And with her van life, I think that there's going to be a lot of entertainment to be had this summer. If there's a topic for the show that you really want to hear about that I haven't covered yet, please send me an email through the contact form on my website. I try to keep things diverse, try to keep things interesting, and pick topics that have brought value to me, but I'm sure that there's things that I haven't thought of yet, so I'm always keen to hear your feedback because this show isn't just for me, it's for you guys, so I'd love to hear your feedback and what you're looking for, so thanks for participating. I'm really excited about our podcast sponsor, Four Sigmatic. They have so many different types of mushrooms on their website, and each of these mushrooms does something different. Something I really like about their website, Four Sigmatic, it's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C, foursigmatic.com, is that they have a blog, and the blog isn't just peddling products. It's about all this interesting information on how to be healthier. And there was a really interesting blog post that I saw about being tired. And it said, why am I so tired? Nine things you can do to get more energy. And it goes into circadian rhythms and coffee and caffeine and everything that might be interrupting our sleep. Like you could even be sleeping eight hours, 10 hours and not feel rested. And I also think that that's kind of a nice little bridge to our previous podcast that you heard last week with Dr. Amy Bender about sleep. So if you're still feeling sleepy and you want to try something in your diet, reishi mushrooms are supposed to be really helpful for helping you sleep and helping you relax. And Four Sigmatic has different reishi mushroom products on their website. So go to foursigmatic.com slash Sonia Looney and use the code Sonia Looney to get 15% off. I think it's worth a try. If you've never used mushrooms before, if you want to try supplementing with this, go to the website and just check it out. And I've been really happy with all the things I've tried. And something else I was skeptical about was the taste of some of these blends. And it's actually really good. And they use stevia as a sweetener. So check it out. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you're interested in developing better habits, healthier habits, and eating, you are more than welcome to join our free Facebook group, The Plant Powered Tribe with Sonia Looney. You don't have to eat a plant-based diet to be a member. There are plenty of people in there that still eat meat and dairy, but just eating more plants and eating more healthy fruits and vegetables is good. So we're in there giving each other great ideas and supporting one another. It's hard because, especially in the summertime, we want to eat all these fun, delicious foods, maybe foods on the patio with your friends. And supporting yourself with people who have healthy habits is a really good way to stay on track with your diet. That's it for this week's show. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.